The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to the to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is God's word. Thank you, Liam. Great job. Isn't it great to hear our, our young ones and our youth reading scripture in our worship? We continue in our, our First Thessalonians series. We welcome our young ones with us today for this Family Sunday. And I have a question for you all as you think about this. How do you really get to know a person? That's a loaded question, isn't it? How, how do you really get to know a person? There's so many ways, right? You spend time, maybe you're thinking now, you're thinking, we spend time with one another. We invite them over for a meal. Um, we maybe in class, if, if uh, young ones, you sit in class with somebody, sit next to them and talk to them. Uh, you see what they like and don't like. You ask questions about their life and maybe family. Um, you stalk them on Facebook. That's what I do. Uh, how, how do you really get to know somebody? Um, how do you really get to know a person in their heart? Like really what they long for, what they desire, what their dreams are, what their what they struggle with, how do you really pull back the layers on someone's life to see who they truly are? That's a lot different than just getting to know someone in their likes and dis dislikes. Uh, one way to do that is to, um, here I'll show you, I wanted to show you some of mine. One way is to read someone's diaries and journals. Um, these are mine, and this is just from, this is just from August. Um, <laughs> So in here, these are just some I could grab and I could find. So you see this? I mean, these pages front and back. Uh, now it's all written upside down and backwards so that you can't read it. Um, my deepest longings, my deepest prayers, my most heartfelt um, desires, uh, my conversations with God, uh, my struggles. Uh, no, you may not read them, uh, any of them. Uh, they're, they're programmed to, to uh, self-destruct when my heart stops. <laughs> so, but these are some of mine. These are some of my journals. These are some of my, my heart overflowing into words on paper, um, knowing that no one will read them, knowing that, that they're secret and they'll be guarded between services, just so you know. But you can really get to know somebody by what they write, um, when, especially with the things they write when no one is reading, uh, just their longings, their heart. When you read someone's diary, that's why... Uh, many diaries have locks on them with a key that only you have. It's where you pour out your deepest affections. You know, in a way, that's what we read today uh, in our passage. What we read um, are Paul's deepest affections and desires and longings that he has. Now, the Bible is uh, not Paul's personal diary. It's not his personal journal. Uh, it is the word of God to us, but God was pleased to use Paul's 
personality, affections, and longings to communicate really the heart of God. And no more, scholars think in no other place than the passages that we're reading through this series do we see Paul's intimate affections and longings really poured out on paper for people to read. He's really opening up his journal and diary for people to read and see what is really important to him. And so by looking at Paul's words, we're able to see God's heart and a really tender part of God's heart. And Paul shares his strong love and feelings for this church, these Christians. He's helping them to learn uh, how to see their lives in terms of what God thinks of them. And in this letter, God tells us that we are something so special to him. We're something so special, so special in fact, that he refers to these Christians more than 38 times in this letter alone. Do you know what God refers to these people as and what he calls them 38 times? Family. In, in, in over 38 times, Paul uses some combination of reference to brothers and sisters, family of God. He refers to God as their father. Family love, in our passage, dominates this, this scripture and, the, and the, the verses that were read today. We are God's family. Over and over again, Paul refers to his recipients as brothers and sisters and family members. And that means that if we are united to Jesus and we trust in him by faith, we are brothers from different mothers, sisters from different misters, right? This is the miracle of the gospel. It's the miracle of the gospel, that because of God's divine love for us, his children. Uh, he rescues us from the punishment of sin, and he unites us to Jesus by his grace through faith, and we are adopted into his family. The father of Jesus is now our father. And this is the miracle of the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel. And it comes with certain rights and privileges, as any family uh, does. As having God as our Father, we have his steadfast love, we have his sovereign protection, we have his eternal fellowship. And the love of God takes people from different countries and different um, professions and different social classes of society and transforms us into a family of brothers and sisters from all over. But family isn't always easy, is it? Family is also not only the place of ultimate joy, it's also the place of ultimate uh, where we pour out our affections and our hopes and dreams and honestly, sometimes the place of ultimate pain and sadness. Uh, you know, the Olive Garden has the slogan, when you're here, you're family. And that's the very reason I don't eat there. Uh, <laughs> you know, I like to eat it in and out. You know, that's my motto. You know, just get my food, don't look at anybody and, and, and leave. So... So I don't go to the Olive Garden. Maybe you feel that way too. You see that billboard. When you hear your family, that's not for me. Family can be difficult, but family is also a joy that God has created for our benefit, for our joy, for the maturation of our faith um, as an expression of his love for us. Verse 8 is such a beautiful statement on the importance of love within family. That's what we're going to talk about today, with, with the, the love within family, the family that we share with one another as God's children. 
You can think of this in terms and apply it to your own family. If you're a mom, dad, uh, son, daughter, or if you are a believer, you know that you are not alone. And so really the point of this passage is because God is our father, we are never without a family. And that's a beautiful thing. Verse 8 says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The Christian community is not simply an association or a club to which we belong, but it's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood where family love dominates among those who together call God their father. So let's spend a few moments discussing the family love of the church, the family love of the church. We will look at the goal, we'll look at the behavior, and we'll look at the power to become the church that loves like God's family. First, let's look at the goal. What is the point of it all? What's, what's our ultimate hope as a, as a church that desires to love like a family? What's the goal of the church that loves like God's family? It's, I'll actually start at the bottom of our passage and ask, what's the goal of the church that aims to love like God's family? We'll actually start in verse 12 and work our way up. The central thing that Paul wants the Thessalonians to do as God's newly formed family is to literally walk with God, to walk worthy with God in verse 12, to walk in a manner worthy of God. The word walk is a a regular word in the New Testament. It's a regular word throughout Scripture that just simply means the way we live our life, one foot in, in front of the other. The way a person lived was often described as the way a person walked. And so the way we go about our lives uh, is is, is meant to reflect God's love. It's meant to come under God's uh, obedience of God's commands. I don't know about you, but I don't really think very carefully about how I walk physically uh, since I was a little kid, right? Since I was learning how to walk. Now, I don't remember what that was like, but if you've ever seen a little child learning how to walk... Pretty, uh, pretty hard. <laughs> it's like, well, they really got to work at this. And they really have to pay attention to one foot in front of the other. But now as adults, like not many of us really pay attention to it. And that's how it can become in our spiritual walk too. We, just, we go about our lives. Uh, there maybe was once a, t- a time where we were very careful with every step, wanting to honor God with our words, our actions, our thoughts, wanting to think about how does this reflect the love and, and, and majesty of God. And then after a while, we just kind of live. And we don't think very carefully about it. And it can be like that too. So the ultimate goal in the life ought to be what? Not to be popular, not to be successful or wealthy, but to aim all of our energy, all of our ambitions for the cause of living our lives in such a way that please God. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying here is the whole goal of having a family. Here's the whole goal of our very lives is that we would give deliberate and joyful attention to living every step of our lives in such a way that pleases God. It's for the very reason that we exist. For a person who has this goal as their primary goal in life, no matter what challenges we face, it's God's opinions, it's God's perspective and thoughts, it's God's influence that matters more than anything else in our life. Because our ultimate goal is to walk with God in a way that pleases Him. Let me apply this briefly to parents and ask parents, what's your greatest concern or goal for your children? What's the number one goal for your children? There could be many noble things on that list. 
Many are on mine to be a faithful student, an obedient child, a compassionate friend, an excellent athlete, a successful employee, a, Stars Wars, a Star Wars fanatic. I don't know what is on your list. You know, maybe it's just like a, a good hairline. I don't know what it is. But what's the most important thing? You see, there's a, t- there's a temptation for things that are desires that we have for our children to become over-desires, ultimate desires. And they take the place of a child that pleases God with their life. That is the ultimate goal. What do you desire for your children? Is the, is the most important thing that you pray for and hope for for your children, is it that they would one day walk with God in a way that pleases Him? That is the cry of Paul's heart, the joy that he, that he pours out for them and the encouragement he gives to them that they would be ones that walk in such a way that please God. In fact, God has called you mothers and fathers. He has called you to be the primary instrument in your child's life so that they would not just be ones who are successful, well-balanced, and well-adjusted to life, but that they would be ones who learn how to walk with God in a way that please Him. If there's one thing you were created for, it is to have our lives and every, everything contained within them attached to Jesus Christ. And it's for this very purpose that we have a family. It's this very purpose that we have a church in order to mature us, instruct us, encourage us, discipline, disciple us, strengthen us, empower us. It's very purpose we have a family towards that end. That's why the church exists towards the end of walking with Jesus in a way that pleases him. So that's the goal of the church. The aim of the love of God's family is to walk with God in a way that pleases him. Next, what's the behavior? What does that look like for the church? Paul continues to talk to us about, well, what does that actually look like? What are some things that we do or think about? Or how do we act as a, as a church that aims to love God uh, and express family love? What's the behavior of the church that loves like God's family? It's where we see that Paul compares the way that he loves to the church like a mother and like a father. And for each, he uses a metaphor to explain how he loved them. Paul loves doing this in his writings. He mixes metaphors. You know, you know what a mixed metaphor is, right? You know, let's, let's act like a tree and leave. Yeah? Let's, let's, let's act like a baby and head out. Like, so these are mixed metaphors. These are, you know, let's act like a bread truck and haul buns. So anyway, okay, where was I? Um, these are mixed metaphors. Paul is doing that. He's saying, I was like a mother to you. I was like a father to you. Verse 7 and 11, but we were gentle among you like nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. For Paul, um, looking at these metaphors at face value, we can see what he's getting at. For Paul, uh, mothering implied a level of gentleness and affection and sacrifice and self-giving love. Fathering, on the other hand, implied exhortation, correction, uh, spiritual discipline, encouragement. And this doesn't mean that one set of activities is in any way more masculine and the other set of activities more feminine. Paul was a man. Case in point, Paul was a man and he compared himself to a nursing mother. 
Men ought to be tender. Men ought to be gentle. Men ought to be self-giving and sacrificial. Men ought to be compassionate. And likewise, women ought to be firm and equipped to discipline and exhort and encourage and counsel. And so Paul is, 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 is not saying that one is masculine, one's feminine, but still there's a purpose behind his metaphors and how he uses this. He's showing that within the family of God, if we desire to be like the family of God, we need two behaviors, really. We need both love and affection and compassion and gentleness, and we need truth and discipline and firmness, and we need correction. Here's a question for the kids, the young ones who are with us. But you can't answer out loud, all right? For the dignity and sake of your parents. (laughs) You have to be silent. Listen to Pastor Pete on this one. Just think to yourself, parents, this is going to be a little scary. Kids, how do you know mom and dad love you? How do you... Someone say a good question? How do you know that mom and dad love you? There's dozens of answers for sure. For sure, again, you're not allowed to answer out loud. Paul says, I love you so much. I love you so much. And, the be- and we need to look at the behavior that he expressed. Because kids, you think about this. How do you know mom and dad love you? Do they give you nice things? Do they do, they do what you ask them to do? Do, you le- do they let you eat dessert every, you know, every day? Right? Do they let you stay up late? So you're thinking of, here's all the things. Do they give you all the things on your list for Christmas or birthday? Do they never tell you no? See, for kids, like you might think, these are the things that my parents do to show me they love me, is by giving me what I want. Paul says something really important that we should listen to. Parents, you could thank me here. Now, parent, now Paul says he loved them so much. He desired to see them trust Jesus with their whole life. And the way that he expressed the ultimate love and the best love a person could was he gave them the truth of the gospel. He says, we were so desirous of you. We loved you so much. And the best thing that we could do to love you is we did not withhold the gospel from you. We told you the truth. The moment a parent stops giving the truth of the gospel to their children is the moment a parent stops loving their children. The moment I, as your pastor, stops giving the gospel to you is the moment I stop loving you as a church. He says, we were so pleased to give you the gospel, but not only the gospel, we are also pleased to give you ourselves. Paul is saying the way that we love you the most is by giving you the truth and giving you the truth in such a way that is compassionate and gentle and kind and loving. The minute we are no longer sacrificing for one another as a church is the minute we stop loving each other. The minute we stop sharpening each other with truth and correcting each other is the moment we stop loving each other as a family of God. If we see behaviors and someone walking in a way that does not please God and we turn a deaf eye and ear to it and say, well, you live your life and I'll live my life, that is the moment that we depart from true love with that person. If we stop sacrificing and losing and and hurting for the sake of another person, we fail to express true love. The gospel frees us from having to take sides on should we tell the truth or should we be nice? 
The gospel frees us to be both, and that's what Paul is saying. He says, I was both loving and truthful to you. I came with truth and love. Paul is probably one of the most masculine figures in the Bible. He's probably one of the most masculine figures you will ever meet, and he likens himself to a nursing mother. Don't let this metaphor be missed. If Paul was free enough as a masculine man to liken himself in his gentleness to a nursing mother, men were called to the same thing. There's no excuse for us. There is no honor in calling masculinity just pure discipline and firmness and correction. We need to be like nursing mothers. And mothers who are gentle, who might have within you a nature and desire to be nurturing, compassionate, self-giving. Paul wasn't a father either. And he likens himself to a father who gives correction and discipline. And moms need to be that as well. Are you free to say this about your posture in the home, dads and moms? Are you free to say this about your posture, that you are both like a mother and a father to your children? When you sacrifice for another person and serve another person, do you feel a great burden to do that? Or does it overflow from a desirous affection for that person to grow? So moms, you might, you might sacrifice a great deal, but is it a sacrifice done in love? Is it a sacrifice that flows from a desire for that person? to walk in a way that pleases God? Dads, when you discipline, is it done in a motivation to see your child know Jesus and his love, or is it just to, to, to get that child to stop doing what he or she is doing? Paul describes what gospel love looks like in the family. What we do need is gospel talk. We need, as Christian communities in our church, we need to talk about the gospel. We need to saturate Ordinary life and ordinary conversation with, with, with conversations about God and his love. We want gospel talk to be normal. Talking about what we're reading in the Bible. Talking about how God is convicting us of sins. Talking about how we're repenting of sins and trusting in the forgiveness of God. How we bring together with our, our, our needs that we share with each other. How we delight together in the gospel and share our spiritual struggles and meaningful fellowship over meals together. We could also benefit as a church family to cultivate gentleness, to cultivate love, to cultivate self-sacrifice as a mother. And so we see the behavior of a church that aims to love like God's family in both truth-telling and in love-giving. Finally, how do we get this? How do we be both loving? How do we be also truthful? Where does the power to become a church like this come from? What enables a Christian or a church to become the church that loves like God's family? Paul finally says in verse 12, which we've read already, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. 
and saying who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He's wanting us to see that our very lives and everything in our lives flows out of what God has already done for us. It flows out of who God says that we are. We're meant to see our lives in terms of our identity and union with Jesus. As Christians, each one of us is not only an individual person made in the image of God. We are now people hidden in Christ and are called His family. You see, Paul tells us what we are, and then he tells us what we are to do because of that. He rejoices in the fact that God's called us to himself, and he's rescued us from sin. That they've received the gospel, and it's changed their lives. That the gospel's given them a new love, a new faith, a new hope in the present and in the future. Paul rejoices in the fact that that God loved them and adopted them into a family, and he's made them a holy people And he tells them all of this before he tells them what to do. And so he's saying, because you are these things, because of God has given you this new identity, because you are his family, walk like his family. Treat each other like family, and not in the Olive Garden way. Only after telling them who they are, he does say, live your life in a way that pleases God. For he calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here is the power that enables us to live as his family. We have by God's grace, all become kids of the kingdom. We have, by his grace, become kids of the kingdom, every one of us. And because, by his grace, we've become kids of the kingdom, we act like we belong to his family with all of the privileges and joys that we have by calling God our Father. God doesn't love his own children because his children are obedient. He loves his children And in loving his children, he makes a way to rescue us from our sin by sending Jesus. And while we were sinners, Christ gave his own life for us. Our identity as God's children is not determined by our goodness. It's not determined by our character or our obedience or anything that we have to offer to God. Our identity as God's children is determined by our union with Christ by grace through faith in his life, death, and resurrection for us. So a thought to take away, what would it look like for you to say to one another in your family at home? Or what would it look like for you to say to one another in your family here at Holy Cross Church? So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only of the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Can you say that to your family? Can you say that to your church family? Is there anyone you could say this to? God desires that we would exist like that as a, as a people pulled out of a culture and society that rarely say this to anyone. He calls us to be a people that aren't like a club or, a, or some kind of society or membership that we give our fees and dues to, but people that are like a family. That say, because I'm so, I love you so much and I'm so desirous of you, I'm not only going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to be affectionate and compassionate and I'm going to love you as well. What would you need to trust Jesus with in order to be, any, be a person that could say this? In your home, in your church, in your friendships. By God's grace, let's be the family like that. 
Let's be his family. Let's be his church. Let's be his home. Let's be the people that reflect to the world what it's like to love each other.